0: Lane, lane, one. One. Lane, lane, one. One. Lane. lane one. Lane one. Lane one. Lane one. Lane one. Lane one. Friends, runners, nut jobs, endurance geeks. Coach Q, lane one. We're back. We got into the studio, did some editing finalize this episode episode 15 and uh, in this episode we chatted with jean knack and she is the executive director of the roadrunners club of america aka rrca check them out at rrca.org they are the body that works with and helps advocate for uh, running clubs across the country and not only running clubs, but also running in general, and uh, they have a lot of wonderful programs that they've put together to help them do that. And we talk about that in this episode, in addition to how Gene came into this position and what it's been like to lead an organization like this. And I think you're going to come away with a better appreciation of what happens behind the scenes of, uh, a, well, of a nonprofit, but also of um, those of us that are obviously interested in. What happens in and around the running community? You know what's been happening behind the scenes with um, one of the major players in the in the industry and in our sport. So really looking forward to to you guys hearing that conversation. And real quickly, just want to thank everybody that came out and supported the Go for the Grits 5K, which was our 5K that we helped put together with Jekyll Island in this past weekend. And coming up, guys, we've got the Wobble before you gobble. Wobble before you gobble, 5K, which is in Brunswick. And then two days after that, we have the Coltstun Plunge, which is back on Jekyll. And that is not a run, but a polar plunge, if you will. And um, then a week after that is the Jingle All the Way 5K, aka Scrooge You 5K, which is the run that um, raises money and visibility for CASA, which is the court appointed special advocates. So as you can see, even though we had a really busy fall, well, we continue to have a busy fall. We had a little bit of a lull, but then we're still at it, and we have these events that are going to wrap up our 2021. And we're also obviously working on 2022. We have Jekyll Island Marathon, half marathon, and 10K coming up um, in January, and then Dolphin Day, ladies and gentlemen, is coming, coming in February. So. Keep an eye out for information for all those events and registration. And uh, let's see what else I wanted to mention really quickly. Hope everyone's training is going well. I know a lot of you have talked with a lot of you guys about what's happening with your training. Got some races coming up everywhere from obviously 5Ks all the way up to 100 mile events. So I'm eager to hear how that goes. As for me, not really training for anything right now. Still trying to figure out what's happening with, uh, with my knee, my left knee. That continues to give me some issues and um kind of been had these start and stops with my training and uh, so we're going to go back to some cycling and hopefully that will kind of get us into a rhythm a momentum if you will that will allow us to to keep it keep the ball rolling and um get us back into some running because it's been quite a few years and Maybe in one of these future episodes, we'll uh, get a little deeper into why and what, what's what been happening and why it's been taking such a long time for me to get back into kind of a running group. But enough about me. As I mentioned, this is episode 15, Gene, executive director of the RRCA. Let's lock into it and uh, let's go for a run. And I know you've, you're, you're busy, so whenever you need to step off, we can, I, I try to keep these between 45 minutes to an hour. Perfect. That's what and I carved out. So Yeah, yeah. But I had, I, I, like I mentioned, I was uh, emailing Andy and um, when I first emailed him, he called me and then I called him back and then we connected and we, we spent some time catching up because it'd been a couple of years since I last, well, I know since at least the last conference, which I was trying to remember. I think it was Detroit, but I thought, no way, it can't be Detroit. Be- and what was after Detroit?
1: It was D.C. I'm pr- I'm almost positive you were in D.C. for the, the 60th anniversary. I think so. With the cherry blossom uh, yeah. 10 mile race. I, yeah,
0: I, I, I think so. I, I And I'm thinking that wasn't that long ago. I should, my memory should be a little better than this.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there's a little pandemic in between. So, yeah, just, you know, just a little, just a little. <laughs> I feel like that's all given us like, a weird, like almost like I don't remember anything pre-pandemic these days.
0: And it's almost a it it, it, it it's been I have I've seen a couple of people use it very deftly as a as a as a hall pass to, to many things. <laughs> that pandemic. Oh, I forgot to pay my bill or whatever. <laughs> so, and, and um,
1: yeah, yeah, and I mildly rightfully so, right? There are times right, where right. you know, even I'm like, oh my God, we're all just trying to get through this. <laughs>
0: But, you know, it was interesting. I, and, and I was, I was just kind of going over the RRCA stuff because, I, th- I mean, that's what I was hoping we could chat most about. But before yeah, we do that, w- one of the things that, I, that I'm thinking, I don't think I was aware of this, um, but you studied at UW Green Bay.
1: Yes. I'm
0: like, how, how, how was it that I did? I went to school in Wisconsin. I'm, I'm, you know, grew up in the Midwest, Chicago. I'm thinking, how is it that I did not know that you were at UW-Green Bay? And then I thought, okay, well, then that means that she is probably a Packer fan because you, well, you, you, you've grown up in a lot of different places. And then, and then I looked at your Facebook page and I thought, oh, geez, she is. <laughs> we got to end this friendship because. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> So how did you end up at UW-Green Bay?
1: Oh, that's a long story. Kind of, I guess. Um, I met a boy in college at Iowa State and, you know, fell madly in love with this guy. Ah, And he went there for graduate school. And um, I was ready for a change of scenery after three years at Iowa State. I quit swimming collegiately. And uh, so I transferred to uh, UW-Green Bay, finished up my last two um, years of school there, Got it. So I my undergraduate degree is in nutrition, so right, it you know, right. really is kind of a five-year plan, especially when you have to take um, organic chemistry twice. That kind of set me back a little it bit. Um, <laughs> I always didn't transfer. <laughs> so yeah, I transferred there, and we did. I ended up marrying that uh, that boy I fell in love with. So uh, yeah, so that's how we wound up in Green Bay, um, where he got his master's degree.
0: But he's not from Wisconsin.
1: No, he's an Iowa boy. He was, you know, born and raised in Iowa, and then we got married in Iowa. Then we moved to the Washington D.C. area, where we've right. been. I think it was twenty-five years this May. So yeah, wow. we left the Midwest and. Wow. Yeah, and you've stayed, been. And, out east. I'm sorry. We stayed out east. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, well that makes sense. I'll I'll allow it. Um, I spoke with. Um, uh, uh, I just went blank on her name. Um, Elizabeth Bigelow, Liz Bigelow, who was a, a marathon qualifier ran in Atlanta. And we had a mutual friend. And that's how I, I, I managed to, to, to coax her into coming onto the podcast. And she did her PT work in Chicago. And but she's originally from Michigan. So okay, we're, 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 we're okay so far, you know, nothing to to and then it then it occurred to me that she probably lived on the north side of Chicago. So then by default, she's probably a Cubs fan, which is what 90% <laughs> of the people from, well, I shouldn't say 90% of Chicago, but 90% of everybody outside of Chicago roots for the Cubs. And so I asked her that. She said, oh yeah. And then she, sure enough, just almost, almost on cue right behind her, she lowered her Zoom camera and there was a cups t-shirt or something like that. And I told her, well, I'm going to have to hang up on you because we're Sox fans from the part of Chicago <laughs> where I'm from. So I'm just, I'm, we're just hitting them all here on, on, on this podcast. But, um, but yeah, so I was just, I was just curious because I thought, I don't think I knew that you had spent some time in green Bay.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. So then when you moved to DC, the DC area, then it wasn't soon thereafter that you started your job with the RRCA, correct?
1: Eh, probably. I mean, about a decade. So, you know, knocked around for about 10 years okay. um, and August 1st, it'll be 16 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So it's been a while.
0: Or are you surprised that the, that the tenure has lasted this long?
1: Um, yes and no. You know, I will say like the organization was much smaller when I took the job and I had sure. two really, really little kids. My son had just turned one and my daughter was two and change Um, so, you know, when I started, I was like, it was a great job when they were really little, um, it really afforded me a ton of flexibility and, you know, I get to do what I, I love doing, you know, which was running. And I was very into triathlon at that time. And, um, you know, I think professionally it's always been great because it's challenged me, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, the interesting thing about working in essentially a small administrative organization is you wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm CFO, I'm CMO, I'm CTO. <laughs> head, head, I wear all head of things housekeeping, things. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'll take out the trash if we have to. Um, you know, that type of thing, make sure there's some snacks in the office, but, um, yeah. And the organizations evolved during that time and, you know, it's kind of crazy. I'm getting ready in probably three weeks to send both my kids off to college. So, um, it's just, you know, it's been a great professional experience as a working mother and, working in the sport and watching the sport grow and the organization grow. So yeah, it's been, it's been a, an amazing journey. I will say that.
0: So by the numbers, when you first took on this role, um, working with, you know, RCA works with running clubs for those that are familiar with, with, what, are, well, why don't we start there? Why don't you what, give us a 30 second elevator speech? We're stuck in the <laughs> elevator. We're going up to the, uh, the, the happy hour at the, uh, <laughs> the hotel bar. And, right. uh, what is the RCA? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's always a big one, right? What is the RRCA? What do we do? Well, we, we do a lot of things. We have our new vision statement, which is we okay. empower everyone to run. And that really encompasses working with organized running clubs, working with event organizers, directors, working with coaches, working with runners. Um, the foundation of the RRCA has been the community-based running club. And the history is, for the very, very long time in the sport, it was the community-based running club that was putting on most of the events around the country. You know, I would say in the last decade, we've seen a little bit of a shift where the predominance of events, if you look at the number of events that are hosted annually, the clubs are still hosting a majority of the events um, nationwide every year. But we have seen events get more... Um, I I would say not formal is not the right word, but more, um, you know, like the bells and the whistles, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. festival feeling, which require a lot more than just volunteer labor, you know, that, that on the event side, I would say over the last 20 years, we've seen a significant professionalization
0: Mm.
1: in event management that's occurred. Um, so some of the running clubs may still own the events, but they're hiring, uh, you know, expert race directors to right. help them produce those events. So, you know, we, we kind of cover it all from, you know, the small group getting started to the people that have been around for 60 years, sure. you know, small little 50 person you know, kind of informal event up to, you know, some of the biggest races around the country that we work with.
0: Right, right. And, and so 16 years ago, If you can remember, how many, what was the number guesstimate of running clubs, local running clubs? Yeah, so
1: between clubs and events that were members of the RCA at that time, it was like 600. I want to say it was 662 to be exact. I actually, like, that's a number that always sticks in my head because it's always the, you know, this is like where we started and where we're at. um. That that
0: seems like it should be, even 16 years ago, it feels like it should have been bigger, doesn't it? Or does it feel like it should have been smaller?
1: Well, I I do think even 16 years ago, it probably should have been bigger. Now, and that's not to say there weren't more clubs, right? um, but those were the ones that were members of the RRCA because a lot of uh, groups also will be members of USA track and field. Right. And so, you know, between the two entities, you know, it was always kind of a mix of which was a member of which organization and there was certainly crossover. Um, But I would say from, you know, 2015- uh, through kind of pre-pandemic, you know, the sport definitely exploded during that time period. Sure.
0: sure. So that's where you saw a, a big growth spurt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, you know, there was a huge number of participant increase in running events around the country, but also, you know, a large number of new running clubs being established and it's, it slowed down a little bit, but we still, you know, on almost a monthly basis, we're seeing new clubs get started in sure. different parts of the country where either maybe, you know, a, a, a longer standing club has kind of fizzled out or um, you know different different clubs serve different needs within the running industry or the, sure. the running community. So We've seen some of that and then communities that never had a running club before, you know, that you get that right person in there that can really be the leader in their, their local running community, you know, they're getting things started. So sure. you know, we still kind of see it as there's, and there's still a lot of opportunity to grow.
0: Absolutely. And so pre pandemic, cause that's how we're, we're marking everything. PP and, <laughs> right. and, and well, I guess post pandemic would be another PP. So that's <laughs> not going to work. So up to the pre pandemic, I'd say, right, like right. After the uh, marathon trials in Atlanta, what, what, how many clubs? What were, what were we looking at in terms of numbers?
1: Oh, we were, you know, between clubs and what I would say event management yeah. companies, yeah. you know, we're in the 2700 range. And of organizational members. And then, you know, then it's like once we start kind of segmenting the audiences of those various pieces, you know, that's where you get different numbers. But sure, sure. You know, that was like the organizational members that were RRCA. Um, So this year is definitely a very different number, Um, probably (laughs) a little half that. But the year's not done yet. Things are still opening up.
0: We still have some in the tank. (laughs) Yeah. So when you so when you think back to when you first started Gene and you come into this organization, which by many by by a lot of measures was still a small organization, and it's now has grown into, like you said, this mem- membership organization that works with you know races, events, et cetera, et cetera. When you think back to let's say the first five years, what what were some of the tensions that you were dealing with? that um that you work through and so by for example you, an easy example is you have the old guard that this is the way we do it and then the new guard that says hey there's this thing called the internet that we need to use and so how how was that how was that in transitioning between those t- those kinds of tensions in, in those first you know uh, yeah like i said three like the first five years
1: yeah, that's, that, that is an interesting and oddly loaded question um, <laughs> that I will say, I mean, there's a couple of different directions to go. As a female executive, I had okay. my fair share of dealing with some pretty gross, okay. um, uh, unprofessional, inappropriate mm. behavior by okay. uh, male board members. Sure. In not a, not a sexual harassment standpoint, but a toxic masculinity type of um, very uh, degrading towards, you know, female executive director. Yeah. It was like, the, the really great thing is we had some amazingly strong females on the board at the same time. Um, so it was, uh, you know, just really being able to work with them and sure. other very decent men that were on the board at the same time to manage through some extremely challenging personalities. Um, So, you know, it, it is interesting when we have a lot of national dialogue about, um, you know, equity in sport. um, I've experienced it, uh, you know, especially in those early days. And then again, then you get into the whole, we were all on paper when I first started, people Mm. were mailing in membership forms that were handwritten and you know, we had an intern that would go and like manually type them into a spreadsheet. And, and then we moved to uh, a really great member built us an access database, but it was still people were hand mailing in, you know, handwritten forms. I would say by about fifth, like end of 15, uh, beginning at 16 people were typing them, which was great. Okay. So you could actually read what they were sending in. (laughs) And then we did move to, um, you know, a, a formal like internet-based database. And right. that was, you know, a huge learning curve. And, and we use that for a really long time until we were like, it's, it, it hasn't stayed current with the needs of our organization um, as we've grown. So that's why we, you know, just very recently did a massive update to that membership database.
0: Right, right, right. Which is transitioning smoothly, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, always. These things are always like seamless. No, you know, no gray hairs coming out of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So as, as, as you said, internally, there were some, obviously some, some tensions with some, with some, you know, pretty serious, you know, beliefs that certain male board members had. Um, And you obviously were able to navigate that through the, through the support of, of some other, like you said, strong female board members what was it like then with the, what were the, what were the, what was the club's reaction, you know, and what was that transition like, you know, with taking on this new, because transitions are always tough, you know, no matter, no matter how you look at it. So, you know, how how was it with. Nobody likes change. (laughs) 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 How was it with the clubs?
1: When I came in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because the organization had gone through what I call an institutional midlife crisis <laughs> before I started. So there was this ugly, like, split in between two organizations. Um, you know, very committed board members brought it back together. Really worked on good governance practices and and building that into the organization, building it into the bylaws. And so, you know. Uh, The good part is when I came in, I was really in a, there was no other place to go, but up, um, you know, the,
0: (laughs) which is good and bad, right?
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, the organization, had kind of, you know, theoretically hit rock bottom. Um, so I was in a really good place in that they, they put everything back together again and put a very good framework in place to then start building from, as it were, for the national organization, and to rebuild that trust with all of the existing members. And that's really, I would say, kind of, you know, those first few years, again, was a lot of that rebuilding trust and making them feel like you know, it is an organization that has good leadership, that's making good decisions, that's going to be around for the long haul. So I think from a member standpoint, you know, that was also, you know, we had internal things we were still dealing with, which I think was holdover from some of that, that institutional, you know, midlife crisis. But from a, an external standpoint, you know, the focus really was on rebuilding trust.
0: Right. And, so as you, as you were, you know, fixing your house, if you will, for lack of a better way of saying it, you were then also showing these clubs, okay, we're getting our act together because we want to be a better steward to you and, and to the mission of not just the RCA, but also to these clubs that rely on us for, you know, for, for, for the support.
1: Exactly. And that's what we've really, you know. Kind of since those early days when i started up until today that is you know one of our core values is integrity and really focusing on best practices in running an organization and we try to kind of push that out there to share with members um on our new website we have a whole new section for club education which really focuses on that best practices information um Little teaser: We are in the last round of approving our updated strategic plan, and that's where you know we we've really put kind of that trust and integrity as a, a key point in our value statement as an organization.
0: Got it. And I think it's interesting, you know, when when you think of run clubs, and I think a lot of people, and the, probably the majority of the people, would think, oh, it's just a run club. We're just getting together. We're going for a run, and so we're going to put a club together. Um, but what? is more involved is you know creating that club and turning it into a 501c3 it's not just a group then that's getting together and we're going to do a run on a tuesday and a monday and then you know maybe we'll do a 5k race of money and you know so on and so And, and some of it is that way but the structure of a nonprofit requires a lot more than we're just getting together for two days to to do a five mile fun run
1: Right. And, and, you know, that's what we try to create those tools. So right. people aren't out there like floundering, right? Like we have a lot of information on the website, just takes a few minutes to, to read it, <laughs> um, but you got to take the time. And, you know, but again, we try to make things somewhat turnkey, you know, there, it's not always like, Hey, just push a button and you're going to know everything. <clears throat> Sorry. But, um, We do try to provide the information that we think is the most relevant for club leaders to help them, you know, understand their obligations towards being a board member for a running club, um, or even if they're not organized as a nonprofit, if they're still, you know, like a planning.
0: Okay. Now we're back.
1: Yeah. That's so weird. It just was like recording stopped. I'm, I'm sure it's probably an internet drop or.
0: Oh no. Russian.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, I, however you want to splice it together, but yeah. I was talking about having those resources on the website yes, yes, right. where club leaders can go in and, you know, just really understand what they need to know as far as guiding their, their local club.
0: And now you, you guys, um, with the Olympics going on right now, and if it weren't a pandemic, would you have been able to go? and with with some of the uh, i'm i'm asking this because and then i have a follow-up question with one of the other programs that you have that that does support you know some some current olympians actually
1: um i would say from a cost standpoint it would be hard to justify going
0: come on let me talk to the board (laughs) you were Uh, at the trials though you were at the marathon trials in atlanta
1: Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, you know, that's a domestic trip. Atlanta is <laughs> pretty inexpensive to get to from uh DC metro area. Uh, yeah. No, we've never, we've never sent representatives to the Olympics again, because we're, we're kind of like that below the Olympic level, right? Like once someone's at that Olympic level, they're, they're predominantly in the USA track and field realm uh, arena sure because they're gotcha. very much governed by the mm. track and field rules and regulations as far and also world athletics which you know do global um right, governance right. of track and field and uh road racing
0: now how how does what's the relationship with between RRCa and usatf how does that how do you guys
1: you know it's i would say it's collaborative is probably not the right word um they, they have their kind of mission and mandate, which isn't, it, it's RCA's mission and mandate is definitely different because track and oh, field sure. is the governing body of sport recognized by Congress. So they make the rules of track and field, road racing, um, mountain ultra running, you know, they're really a rules making body. Within USA Track and Field is the long distance um, mm-hmm. running division. And so I would say really RRCA, our relationship is with that long distance mm-hmm. running committee. And, you know, we, we work closely with them. Um, so, you know, they have things that they do, but we also have slightly different things that we do, but in a way that we support each other. And a great example is uh, just a couple of weekends ago, we had the Run Pro Camp. I was just just going to ask you
0: about that. Yeah, yeah,
1: we bring in, you know, recent college graduates that are looking to um, go from, you know, ending their NCAA eligibility and moving into the professional running world. And, you know, a great example is USATF always sends somebody from their long distance running committee to talk about. USA track and field, you know, their roles, what they do. Um, so, you know, it's just a great example of how there are places where we do work together. Sure,
0: sure, sure. Now that, that, that run, that run pro camp, wait, is it, yeah, run pro camp. Um, that's kind of one of the menu items, if you will, with your roads, which I think is funny. Roads, R-O-A-D-S, not R-H-O-D-E-S. Right, right. Scholars, ha ha ha. <laughs> um, that, that the RRCA uh, puts together. Let's talk a little bit about that one, because I think that's uh, that's I think one of the more unique programs that the RRCA has to offer.
1: It is. So a lot of times what happens is people come out of college and they're not quite sure what they're going to do. Maybe they haven't gotten picked up by a training program or they don't quite have a shoe sponsor yet. So we provide small grants to athletes who really show that they've They've got the talent and the potential to, you know, become, you know, future elite USA athletes, you know, running for a team, USA team, um, competing internationally, sure,
0: sure.
1: you know, excelling in the marathon. So we provide, and the money goes straight to the athlete so they can use it as they see fit. Maybe they're using it for massage therapy, um, mental health counseling, oh, gotcha. nutrition, um, maybe paying for a coach or paying for some physical therapy, whatever they need it, it's, it's up to them. And then we just kind of monitor their progress, um, during the grant cycle to see how are they racing. And, um, and we kind of, you know, once we'd given them money, we, we definitely track their progress through the sport, um, and try and spotlight them from a promotional standpoint sure, sure. to, uh, you know, to give them shout outs when they're, you know, racing really well. So it's, it's a unique program. And, the run pro camp, they're not fully interrelated. Like you can get a grant without coming to camp, but applying and coming to camp, definitely kind of, you know, you, you're going to get a, the application is going to definitely get a closer look if gotcha. you've been to camp because we've, we've seen that personal dedication. We've had that interaction with athletes that have been to camp. So, you know, it's, it's an indication of true interest in staying in the sport.
0: So if I'm a division one, you know, cross country track guy, and, you know, I, I've come close to qualifying for nationals, haven't quite got there, but I've got the desire, you know, I, I, I want to take it to the next level. I can go to the run camp.
1: Yes. Okay. And, and it is an application process, you know, it's oh, not okay, just okay. all commerce, um, right, right. but, you know, we, we definitely take a look at does somebody really have that you know future potential to sure. go pro and there's you know there are some indications with time that it's like you know you're 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 not really going to move up to the pro level
0: right um, right
1: but you know it is a an, an application invitation type of situation but it's you know people need to apply right we we haven't for a couple of years we haven't filled all the available sp- Spots that we're willing to fund. And so
0: well, after this podcast, you're going to get a bump.
1: I hope so. I mean, (laughs) a lot of it is, you know, word of mouth, awareness. What we've found is college coaches, they don't really care what happens to their seniors. You know, that's that's just an unfortunate truth. And so, you know, they don't necessarily say, hey, here's this opportunity you should go check out. Now, I will say there are several colleges because they've had athletes go through, so they have some good awareness. Iowa State has been great about sending athletes. Um, University of Alabama, their uh, one of their coaches was a run pro camper and a Rhodes Scholar grantee. So now we're like, she knows the program. You know, we've got a pipeline with um, University of Alabama. So, sure. and same with Syracuse, you know, so it's, if the coaches are aware, they will send people. And so, you know, that's what we've really found is, raising awareness with those collegiate coaches that this opportunity exists. And then, you know, having them just give five seconds to their senior athletes, their graduating athletes to make them aware of it.
0: Right. Right. And, and, and who knows, you know, they'll fill out the application and go, and it's something that will really help them. Like, like it's being described. This is really a bridge for them to, to one, see if that next level is attainable right. and, and how our RCA can support them in making it to that next level.
1: Yeah. And and our biggest message is, especially with distance road running, it's, it's a process. You know, we tell people coming out of run pro camp, don't give yourself a 12 month window because that's not realistic when it comes to long distance running and being, you know, 23, 24, you know, you look at when, um, most of the men and women are winning the major marathons, you know, qualifying for the Olympic marathon, they're in their late twenties. And, you know, if you're Abdi, you're in your forties. So, right, right. you know, it's a, it's a long window, but it's also a window that you really don't hit that high level of success until your late twenties, early thirties.
0: Right. 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 Wow. Well, I, I definitely think that, well, hopefully people will, as this program continues to grow and develop, cause it's, it hasn't been around that long. Correct.
1: Um we so it was started by um Minnesota Distance Elite in okay. 2011 and so we took it over in 20 I have to look at my calendar of when we took it over. We took it over in 2013. They okay. took a break okay. in 2012 with the Olympics cycle at that time. So we've had it for a while. And you know we've had we've seen some successes with that yeah. program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know speaking of coll- collegiate runners and and colleges um What do you think of that, the new ruling by the NCAA with the NIL, the name, image, likeness? I'll step (laughs)
1: into it, right?
0: Um, I'll I'll add it. I think
1: think it's about time. I think, you know, um, that I think athletes, especially collegiate athletes, have been taken advantage of at the, you know, the expense colleges. And especially when you look at football and basketball, I mean universities are making hand money hand over fist on the names of these athletes and these athletes get, you know, really nothing in return from a dollar standpoint of what those schools are bringing in. So um, I I think it's the right direction. Again, you know, when you talk about equity and, you know, the importance of people being able to I guess, capitalize on their talent yeah. and, you know, kind of own their, their own rights and their own, to their image and, you know, their marketing value. I think it's important. I hear the, the arguments of the other side of like, oh, it's going to harm college athletics and people aren't going to get scholarships and, you know, that type of thing. And um, if that's the way their programs are operating at exploiting, you know, young athletes, they may want to really think a lot harder than, you know, beyond the athletics of what they're really about.
0: Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about the athlete that will be exploited by, you know, not necessarily the NCAA or their school, but somebody out there that wants to capitalize on this and also how it's going to saturate the, you know, just what's out there. Do you know what I mean? And that's where I get concerned because you have, I mean, a lot of these athletes are still young, you know, and they're making these decisions that that are going to have a huge impact. And I'm certainly not going to tell an athlete not to consider it or look into it. But, you know, my concern is, is the exploitive, the the potential exploitation of those athletes and how it could then, you know, hurt their potential, you know, for the rest of their lives, you know, a lot of these these kids, some of these kids are still teenagers.
1: Yeah. And I think that's always the concern about, you know, at what age should there be a lot of like marketing money made off of, as you said, teenagers, you know, I, I grew up in the sport of swimming and, you know, with the Olympics going on right now, it's, it's pretty known, like female swimmers are at their peak, usually around 15 to 18, you know, it was when I was swimming, it was like, if you hadn't hit it by 18, like hang it up lady, you know, you're <laughs> done. Um, Dara Torres proved everybody wrong that that wasn't right, the case, right, but right, you know, right. I, and so I think there is a concern with, you know, true minors in the sport and that's the important of safe sport. You know, it mm-hmm. came out just mm-hmm. today that Alberto Salazar was banned for life and that is the right oh. decision.
0: I didn't I hadn't seen that yet. Yeah. Yeah, it
1: just came out today. I saw that in the safe sport email. And he was he was abusive towards his female athletes. Sure, I mean, there's sure. you know, there's a track record, and that's I think beyond money, you know, that's something every sport is dealing with right now, is really saying you can't put money as the pinnacle. You know, you you can't exploit and abuse right, right, young athletes right. and and I agree with you. And I think anytime that money becomes a factor, that's when very poor decision-making comes in. USA Gymnastics is a perfect example. Um, they put money over you know, the safety of all of their, of athletes, their athletes for right. a long time.
0: Right. Well, I didn't mean to, to get a sidetracked <laughs> onto that one because we could, we could keep speaking. right. We could <laughs> go.
1: Yeah. And I could get on my soapbox and, you know,
0: <laughs> but, but I think that the, the kind of the bigger issue um, or the bigger theme is how we take care of and how we support our, our, you know, athletes and in our, in, in your case, and in, in my case uh, are, you know, kids that, you know, have discovered running and have fallen in love with it. And, you know, or, you know, want to go to that next level. And so, you know, I think a program like the Road Scholar or the Run, Ro- Run Pro Camp, Run Pro Camp, say that three times as fast it's as It's a I mouthful, can. right? I can't, you know, or are, are just another tool in the quiver of helping educate, you know, these young folks in how to take it to the next step or next level. Exactly. So, so to speak. So um, the other program that you guys that I'm very familiar with was is your coaching program. Yes. So obviously during the pandemic, you couldn't have in-person coaching, classes, trainings, et cetera. Um, did you guys go virtual with those or did you guys just halt them? We
1: did. So, did. Okay. I'm, and I'm, I'm glad you bring this one in. Um, we'd held off for a long time about doing any kind of digital because we always knew we didn't want to be that like, here's a PDF, read it, go take a test. Like, There's so much value in having human interactions, having dialogue, having that intellectual discussion. And so we think that's one of the things for a long time that set the program apart from other, you know, other things that are out there in our space. And so that was something that as an organization we highly valued, um, was really that intellectual exchange. Sure. And, and then along comes Zoom, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> And we, we did like as the pandemic hit, we're like, we had about 30 classes sold at that point in time. Oh, wow. Um, So that was one, something we're looking at is like, uh, you know, like there's the financial piece of it. There's the administrative organizational, are these classes even going to be able to go off, you know, later in the year. And this was back in, you know, March of
0: 2020.
1: And The great thing Randy has said, our director of coaching education, he also teaches at the University of Arizona. So he, he already had experience with digital teaching, Gotcha. um, you know, online teaching. So many universities have adopted that, you know, prior to, to, um, to the pandemic. And so, you know, we we looked at a couple of different platforms, and we we settled on Zoom because it had more universal application for our organization as a whole. And you know, we offered people up. We're like, you can try it on Zoom, or we can give you a refund. And I think about one of the early courses. Maybe ten people took a refund, so we had about a class of you know twenty five. They did it. We learned a lot. Um, and we kept going, and some of those 10 people who didn't want to do Zoom, as time went on, they they hopped into Zoom. And then what happened was very fascinating is we started scheduling new courses on Zoom. And the diversity of course attendance increased dramatically.
0: Interesting. And
1: I think a lot of that was because you no longer had an associated cost to travel to a course by a participant. Um, you know, and we did a few like Friday, Saturday, I think we even did a Monday, Tuesday. And one of our challenges for a long time had been international demand. And I would always say we we can't justify traveling outside of the US when we're, you know, we're not really meeting demand in the US. And right. so that was always kind of one of those like, you know, we'd talk about it during staff meetings, but it was a okay, parking lot item, we'll, you know, we'll solve for that at some point. And then all of a sudden it just kind of zoomed, help us, it helped us resolve it, you know. And then we started doing different time zones. And so we would do, you know, an East Coast time zone and we would schedule a course more towards West Coast time zone. And those were very popular. And, you know, we were even seeing people, it didn't matter what time zone that um, we had a couple of people from Kuwait go through. And, you know, it's like, they're staying up all night long to go through the coaching course. You know that's during the day. You know somewhere in the U.S. So that was, um, you know, every time you think of like pandemic silver linings, right? We all, you have to take away the positives from right. a, a really uh, chaotic year. That um, had we not been forced into kind of pivoting that program, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to you know really learn a lot of things about ways that we can do it different and so looking forward you know we'll be planning a mix of zoom and in person to to kind of continue address the the demand from the lessons learned and what zoom can provide to us yeah. when we host the course um virtually but there are also people who you know they spend all day in front of a computer they don't want to spend all weekend so you know there's people are dying for us to get back in person and sure. so we're working on the 2020 Getting some in person courses uh, planned and scheduled
0: for 2022 or for this year?
1: Yes, I'm sorry,
0: 2022. So, so back, so what that's fascinating that there was this international demand that you were then obviously able to provide, or or kind of, or you just had international participants that said, oh, if it's Zoom, I can participate because I don't have to. Exactly. But are you looking at developing? international specific type coaching or the training or is
1: it just at
0: this point no
1: right well maybe that's what we might need to we might need to look at um you know bringing in some uh some foreign language uh speakers that can help us in different countries um i know that we have some coaches that are from india that have gone through and they're like they'd love to kind of make it culturally relevant, you know, and, and we've had those conversations, but again, we, we have our, kind of our own demand. Right. right, Um, within the U S so, and we are a very small administrative staff, as you know, and, um, and the coaching team
0: that requires another level.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's all a balancing act. Um, but more, more coming out on that soon. Um, yeah, we, we, we always have things in the works in the background. Um, so that, that one's a little too soon to say where we're, where, where you're we're
0: at. Right, right. Um, but but we tuned. have gone
1: through a process. I mean, it's not a secret. We've gone through a process looking for additional instructors for the coaching program. So sure, sure. Um, we're, we're still in that process.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, in, you know, obviously the pandemic was a big thing last year. A lot of races had to postpone or cancel, you know, we're coming back. One of the reasons why I was reaching out to Andy, as I mentioned to you earlier, was to get um, our events online with with insurance, as you know, we're gearing up for the fall and just making sure we got the i's dotted, t's crossed. Um, I mean, obviously, not to you know relive the pandemic, but now that we're coming out of it, you know, obviously with the coaching, one of the one of the silver linings was, hey, our program expanded to you know some places we didn't think it would expand to. What were some of the other silver linings? Um, that you were, that you're hoping to capitalize on now that you were, it looks well, I shouldn't say it. Variants be damned. Right. As, as, as we're, well, at least it felt like we're coming out of it. What, what were some of the other lessons that you, that that you learned as, as, as an organization that you're hoping will help guide you as you move forward, uh, you know, as we move out of this pandemic? I mean, one thing
1: from an organization side, it, gave us a little breathing room to work on this massive membership oh, yeah, database yeah. rebuild website overhaul project yeah that had it been a normal year you know it's hard for us in a normal year to carve out time for like these big huge projects so there's a little piece of that where it's like oh you know okay that was kind of nice we had a little bit more <laughs> bandwidth in a in a weird not desirable yeah. no, way I get it. You know,
0: yeah
1: um I think it also brings home for us as an organization, we are very uh, thoughtful about the net profits that we've had over the last you know five, six, seven plus years. Um, the board has been very responsible, kind of safeguarding our, um, it's not an endowment, but it's their board restricted reserves. Sure. And I think it really hit home last year, and especially planning for this year, referencing my, you know, half the membership numbers, um, but we were in a place to weather this storm financially right. as an organization, and really, you know, it's a great board. We're all very thoughtful about, you know, we, we really are looking at a 24-month cycle of recovery, um, you know, this year being, I think, actually a little bit better than what we'd anticipated from a, a restart, But we're, you know, we'll, by the end of the year, we'll be nowhere near like, oh, yay, we're all good. You know, we're all recovered. Um, I think we all know you watch the news. We've got a long way to go before we're really in the clear. I, you know, it's, I think the, there are a lot of lessons learned. Um, (laughs) One, our, our um, consumers maybe aren't the most educated about what, how the sport really operates or how events really operate. Um, You know, that was kind of evidence with a lot of cancellations. Um, I think virtual running was a great bridge for event directors and for people to stay engaged with the events that they were, you know, maybe training for as the pandemic came out and giving them some goals to shoot for. I definitely see as things have opened back up. Um, you know, the, the data says like people want to run in person. They want to be out there with that, that live event. There's just, there's something to it that is far more motivating. Um, I know I've signed up for a few virtual events and I'm, I'll say I'm, they, they got my money and I did nothing. <laughs> they, I, they just, it's, I'm wired that way. I need that in-person event, sure. you know, no, I need I'm... to get up in the morning and go and do, and then feel good. And, you know, then come home and have my afternoon.
0: Right. And then, um, and, but also be a part of that community, you know?
1: Right. Exactly. And, you know, again, I think virtuals will stay around, um, just as a way to, for people that for sell out races that they can, you know, kind of participate or they're traveling, but they want to stay aligned with the, the event. Right. Right. I think that there's some value in them. Um, I, I, I'm frustrated because I think a lot of, You know, people saw it also as an opportunity to be exploitive of Mm -hmm. the sport and, you know, just capitalize on selling stuff, you know, and and making money. Um, Not that making money is bad, not saying that, but I do feel like there were some virtual events that, you know, I started seeing on social media that I was like, this just feels like somebody taking advantage of, you know, an industry who's caught in a bad situation. Right,
0: right. No, there was definitely some shadiness happening for sure. Um so as 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 you God know that, that that question could that's another half day conversation. <laughs> so as 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 you know, as as races are coming back online, as things are starting to happen, um what how how do you feel about the state of 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 like the events and running and and where things are headed?
1: I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I, I think we're gonna have to deal with the unvaccinated population in this country mm. and how the sport is going to address that. I think for a while we were like, oh, don't require vaccinations, it's complicated. Um, but I also think there's been enough uh you know legal reviews that requiring vaccinations is maybe not the worst thing, especially for very large events. Um it, it may be what we have to do as a society to, to get people to safely participate sure. in activities. Um, and I'm, you know, people have very strong opinions about it. Um, I have a degree in science, so I, I tend to follow the science. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I am cautiously optimistic. And, you know, the reason why, too, is race directors. They really care about the sport. They care about providing safe events for people to participate in run. They're working very closely with their communities. You know, we've seen many race directors around the country were you know leading organizers in mass vaccination clinics. So, um, you know, they take organizing large groups of people very seriously. So. Again, I'm optimistic, but you know, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Yeah, yeah. We still got to get through the fall.
0: Right, right. No, and and you know your, your your comment about race director and and the safety of our participants, you know, obviously resonates, but it's it's another level of safety protocols. You know, it's not just traffic, it's not just crowd management, it's not just, you know, the health and wellness of our well, I mean, it is the health and wellness of our, but that's another level to make sure that if I pull thousands of people together, that they're going to be safe, that they're going to yeah. be able to enjoy this event in a way that's fun and healthy. And they'll leave going, hey, I want to do that again next year, which is, you know, you know, part of the, always the goal that, that you liked it enough that you want to come back. So with, with that in mind, though, real quickly, has have, obviously there must be a shift in the way the insurance is, is now set up for, for events to include some type of either waiver or language in the registration that says, you understand that by participating in an event, you might get the cooties. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to use a scientific not. term. <laughs> right. I can tell you work with uh, uh, you know high school, middle school right. kids, right? <laughs> yeah, so with insurance, I mean, we did um, for 2021, Pretty much across the board, insurance wise, all the carriers came out that if somebody made a claim that they got COVID at your race or, you know, place of business, that type of thing, that claim was not going to be covered. And again, part of it is we don't have contact tracing in this country that's that's good or reliable, right. Right. So it's impossible to tell, you know, if you get it, where did you really get it? Right. Um, right. So it, it isn't a covered thing if somebody were to to sue you saying they got COVID at your event. Um, you know, the insurance company would be like, you know, we're it's not covered. But what that means then is the lawyers aren't gonna really waste their time trying to go <laughs> after it because there's no money there. Um and we have recommended we have updated waivers you know speaking specifically to communicable diseases and and really when you read older waivers like if they were well written like that was in there but you know we've we've said go go farther you know reference COVID. now we'll probably have to reference COVID and all of its you know mutated variances um but you know again it's a known thing, you know, Look, if you, if you elect to interact in society during a, an ongoing pandemic, like you're personal choices, right. <laughs> right. right. Um, and, and then it comes down to, you know, how much are, are people willing to fight that in court?
0: Well, we are a litigious society. So yes, we are, <laughs> we do like our courtroom. <laughs> so Gene, we're, we're, we're coming up on an hour and I just have two, two quick questions and then we can wrap it up. Cause I know you got a busy schedule. One is, you mentioned you were a swimmer, and I know you've done uh, at least a handful of Ironman triathlons, correct? Yes. Is there one in, your, in, in, in the future? It seemed like you were, you were on, a, on, a, on a kick there for a while.
1: I was, I was, it was probably TMI, but after Ironman Maryland, I actually got diagnosed with a kind of a wicked autoimmune disorder. Oh no. Um, it's uh, called pernicious anemia, okay. which, I mean, it, it's, it's terrible to a degree, but highly treatable. Okay. Um, so it's, I haven't quite figured out how to get back to like that long course, um, full endurance training. Um, it's, it's kind of an ongoing regular management, um, Gotcha. So yeah, it's kind of weird. You get old and then you're like, Oh, things are, you know, the, the car is breaking down. <laughs>
0: Tell me about it, man. It's got
1: a hundred thousand miles on it. Uh, yeah. you know,
0: I need a new engine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But it, you know, it's, um,
0: but are you able to yeah. run or Are you still able to stay active though? I,
1: yeah. I would say okay. swimming has been my go-to okay. most recently. Um, I, because it went undiagnosed for too long. Um, there's some, you know, some joint damage as a result. So, you know, still kind of working through those oh, okay. issues, but sure. you know, I can get in and swim several thousand yards in an yeah. hour. So that I'm happy with that. So and, and, and you started... I got the swim of an Ironman nailed right now, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you like, but you said you you had started in swimming. So I mean, yeah. this is kind of a full circle for you.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, I'm starting to get on the bike a little bit more and, yeah. and hoping that the running will will follow along soon.
0: So if there's this Roadrunners Club of America, is there a pool swimmers club of America? Maybe. I,
1: well, I know they have the USA Masters swimming, oh, that's but not the same thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so are you watching? I'm assuming then you're going to be watching the swimming and the track and field. Olympics. I pay a
1: little um, attention to the swimming. There is um, a young lady from Arlington, Virginia, where I'm from, that uh, went to the same high school as my daughter and my oh, cool. son. That um, she got fourth in the hundred fly, so oh, you know, very impressive swimmer. Yeah. You know, local local girl. So yeah. you know, we were paying attention to that, and then I'm That's definitely cool. looking forward to the marathon. Oh, um, absolutely. See how that goes. The the you know we had provided Alephine a right. grant um, in fall of twenty nineteen, and then because she won the Olympic trial, she got a like a, a performance bump from that uh, special round of funding we do, kind of under the road scholars banner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're we're definitely looking forward to seeing how her race goes.
0: Um, I spoke with with Jay Holder, who does the media for the yeah. Atlanta Track Club, and it was fascinating to hear some of the behind the curtain stuff that went on to put together that marathon trials for both the men and women. It was, it was, it was one of those that just, you know, obviously I know what is involved with race directing, you know, but not to that level. And what he was able to describe, I was like, good gosh. (laughs) (laughs) like really it was cool it was cool and bad fascinating so and he's there now we're, we're doing media stuff um i think not as a part of the track club but just kind of as a consultant i think or yeah. a freelance or something yeah like that. that's but, great but yeah it was it was it was a great conversation to hear but now were you guys involved i know i said two questions but real quickly you guys were at the at the at the trials but not in an official capacity or was there an official capacity <laughs> Semi, so, so
1: we, we did provide some sponsorship to the Atlanta Track Club, who's okay. been a very long-standing member right. of the RRCA. Right. We hosted a breakfast for okay. all of the athletes. And again, that was kind of under that banner because we had a significant number of Run Pro Camp,
0: yeah.
1: Road Scholar alumni right. that were running in the trials, um, and a lot of other athletes that, you know, we've known throughout the, sure, like the sure. years of their families.
0: So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So we, we hosted an athlete's breakfast. So, you know, semi-official, um, from just kind of the, the overall weekend, uh, of the Olympic trials.
0: Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I'm not going to leave you. Okay. I promise one more question. If you could add an Olympic event, what would it be?
1: Oh my gosh. That's a, I think there's too many. Is that terrible? No, it's not.
0: I agree. I was I was reading
1: the paper just the other day and I'm like, I get that there's so many cool sports out there, but I, you know, is it too much? You know, I'm a lot, I'm a bit of a less is more kind of person. Um, So it's probably just a a personal problem with me, but (laughs) I I find it hard to be like, what am I even paying attention to? It's too much. Right. It's like when it's too much information, you can't pay attention to any of it. Right.
0: No, I agree. I agree. There's, there is too much. And you're just trying to figure out the schedule and what channel is what on i i would I, I will say this i would love for them to add a 50k mountain ultra to the olympics because i think there there there's a lot of interest in seeing kind of an ultra distance event but you know a good technical solid ultra event for the olympics that's there i said
1: i i actually think that i'll i'll agree i'll steal your answer <laughs> <laughs>
0: Or even make it 10 miles. It doesn't have to be 50K. It could be, you know, uh, just a trail, something something that that would uh, showcase some of that, you know, talent that we have in, in the ultra community that does not Well, really- and,
1: and the reality, when you think about it, I mean, it, it is truly an international sport. I mean, there are people Absolutely. all over the world that yeah. are, you know, running at both the recreational and, you know, the very high elite level. So I always think about that with the Olympics is it's got to be a sport where you get a level of global
0: participation.
1: I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll steal your answer. All right.
0: Well, we can jointly <laughs> go. We can jointly go there. Well, Gene, thank you very much. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. It was great to reconnect and to hear about all of the great things that the RCA is doing. And um, definitely look forward to seeing what you guys do. You know, in the next few months, as we as we, as, as we either do something with this pandemic, and uh, you know, wish you and the RCA all the best of luck.
1: Thank you, same to you.